start off today's episode just formally apologizing for the hot mess that was last weekend. First, I forgot to upload the audio file, and then somehow the audio file I uploaded just only had my voice on it, which normally isn't a problem unless you have a guest on the episode, which I totally did. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. So I, I, I'm sorry that last week was a kerfuffle. Everything is fine now. Everything is restored and put back as it should be. The episode was up, down, and then up again. So if you missed this great conversation that I had with Joshua Knoll of the Whole Church Podcast, comparing what Dietrich Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis had to say to their students during times of change, if you missed it because it was up, down, up, down, up, down, then please go back and dig through your long list of podcasts that you need to get caught up on and go to that one first because it's a really good conversation. Again, I am sorry for all of that. Nothing but professionalism here during the summer of Bonhoeffer. Today, though, it is the episode that many of you have been waiting for, the big one. Today, we are going to review... Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. So what we're going to do here today is that I am going to provide, as always, a little bit of history, a little bit of context, because I I know for myself personally, these little context history notes have been helpful, not just to know like when these things are taking place, when these writings are taking place, that they're not just like in a vacuum, isolated from the rest of society, but like, here's the moment in history, what's going on. But it's also been helpful as this has been, has, this part has turned into a little bit of the history part of Bonhoeffer's life. The main focus is obviously on his writings, but we should get to know the guy a little bit first too, right? Wine him and dine him a little bit, see where it goes. So it's helpful that Uh, at least for me, to have these historical notes. So we're going to do the background, as always, on the writing of this book. Going to talk about what this book is all about. It's a short read. I'll give my full book review for, you know, what I think of this book as a as a piece of literature, as we go into chapter by chapter, what is this book all about? But the before we do those things, I wanted to take a moment to address a comment that I got recently. A good one. Doesn't happen too often, but shockingly, it's been happening a lot with this series. Someone had given me a nice virtual pat on the back for taking on this endeavor of reading and discussing the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because in this individual's opinion, some believers would come to somebody like Bonhoeffer and feel very intimidated by this person who is known as this great philosophical theologian. And I, I totally understand where this comment is coming from. I don't, it, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we did the episode talking about uh, Bonhoeffer's lecture to his systematic, theolo- uh, systematic theology students, talked a lot about preaching and uh, Karl Barth in that episode. Yeah, that was really heavy. <laughs> I was reading stuff out loud. I was reading the footnotes a lot. I had to do some additional research. Like that was a that was a heavy one to read. But from reading Life Together 
and also I would point to the draft of the catechism that Bonhoeffer co-authored. We talked about that one a few weeks ago as well. Um, that though he has these moments where he can be very deep, very intellectual, Bonhoeffer knows his audience. And so when you come to something like the catechism or here today with life together, this is va- these things are actually very accessible. When he is talking to his university students, yeah, good luck with that. Just going to be honest. Good luck with that. That was that was an exercise in patience to read through those things. It was still good. It was just a lot heavier. But Bonhoeffer knows his audience and can write well towards his audience as well. So if there's anything, which there's going to be a lot of great stuff in this episode, but if there is anything that I want to encourage you to walk away from with this episode is I hope that helps you feel encouraged and enabled to go out and read some of this stuff for yourself. Go out, get life together, cost of discipleship, whatever it may be. Get some of these books and work your way through them. You can do this. If that's what you walk away from with this episode, then I think I have done well. If you're still in this position, though, of, man, this Bonhoeffer guy, I love this stuff, but this is a little too heavy for me, then welcome to my seminary life. That's the entire point here, where I am doing my best to take these things that are normally reserved for the seminary classroom that shouldn't be. Every Anybody should be able, should feel equipped and enabled to pick this stuff up. But if you don't, I am here to try and help present it in a way that anybody can pick it up. Knowing that I definitely fail and don't accomplish that every time. I know that sometimes I'm more theoretical than I am practical and I am working towards balancing that out more. And today is actually going to be a great example of balancing that out more. This is actually a very practical book that we're talking about. But if you're if you're still intimidated by Bonhoeffer, I get it. He can be a bit intimidating, but hopefully this encourages you to go check some of his writings out for yourself, and if not, keep listening. You're more than welcome to stick around and listen to me talk about stuff until you are ready to take that on for yourself. Okay, so when we last left Bonhoeffer, it was the fall of 1933. He was leaving his teaching position at the university, uh, teaching uh, at a university in Berlin, teaching systematic theology, to go be the pastor of two German-speaking churches just outside of London. We are now skipping forward to the year 1935, so two years later. Bonhoeffer is preparing for a trip to India to learn under Gandhi about pacifism and to already get off on a nice big rabbit trail it fascinates me i have read very little buddhist teachings for myself admittedly but i do find it interesting how often you find christians bonhoeffer c.s lewis being another um michael gunger 
find people who express faith in Jesus and I don't want to say want to give a free pass to Buddhists, although Michael Gunger is a universalist, so a very universalist. Um, but you, there's a a love and a respect for the Buddhist religion from some Christians that you don't see for a lot of other religions. And I, in a way, I do get it. I think this verges into the whole St. Thomas Aquinas, all truth is God's truth, where it may be coming from a different religion, but still kind of sound like what we believe. I talked about in an episode of the Whole Church Podcast. Sorry, I haven't told you all this yet. But I, I talked about in a Whole Church episode how I've dabbled in Taoist philosophy because of my martial art background, and it was a choice, not a something that was forced upon me. Uh, but I've dabbled in Taoist philosophy before, and what is interesting is that their understanding of meditation is not what we often think of, of the whole empty your mind, repeat om to yourself for hours on end, but it's more of this idea of capturing a thought and mastering it mastering whatever it is you're thinking of until you know until you can conceptualize everything about it and that sounds very similar to how we understand meditation in scripture of the chewing over of a text in our mind repeating the law to ourselves in the book of psalms and whatnot so all of that is to say, I guess everybody kind of looks at certain religions and goes, well, that's actually pretty close. But I do find it interesting that for many Christians, that seems to be Buddhism. Anyway, so Bonhoeffer, 1935, is getting ready to go hang out with Gandhi for a while. Uh, he gets to the call, however, to become the head of an illegal seminary in Germany. By this point, we are full-blown Nazi Germany Hitler is in charge, running everything, and there is now officially state-sponsored churches and seminaries teaching the Nazi Party's nationalistic agenda. Bonhoeffer accepts the invitation to lead this uh, close-knit seminary, partially because of it being illegal. This was going to be a very small group, close-knit community as a seminary. Uh, only a few years later, however, I, for some reason, didn't write down the exact date, but this, uh, this seminary experience for Bonhoeffer did not last long. Only a few years later, the Gestapo shut down the seminary. From this uh, experience and the teachings that he taught in the seminary uh, during the few years it was going, these... It, his experience in his teachings led to three books. The first one being, obviously, Life Together. This is this is the obvious result of that of that time in his life. The Prayer Book of the Bible, which is a commentary on the Book of Psalms, was a result of his time here. We're actually going to talk a lot about the Book of Psalms here in a minute, and we're going to talk about this book in part. On, in next week's episode, we're not going to cover the whole thing. We're going to be looking at a portion of the prayer book of the Bible. But the third book that came out of this experience in his life 
is the cost of discipleship, which is often considered to be his greatest contribution to Christian literature, theology, Christian thought. Um, it is absolutely a Christian classic. Like I said, we're not going to get to it this year. If we do Bonhoeffer again in the future, the plan is to get to that, get to it then. Uh, but this is considered to be his masterpiece by everybody except him because he considered his book Ethics to actually be his greatest contribution to Christian thought and literature, which is crazy because I feel like that's the one that gets the least amount of press coverage. So that is the setup for this book. We're going to be talking about the book itself, which is not like a journal recounting everything that happened during this this seminary, this illegal seminary experience, but it's going to be a look at um, his like reflections afterwards. Our verse of the day for this episode is going to be Psalm 133.1. This is the verse Bonhoeffer, I think he opens the first chapter with this verse, if I remember right. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And this is the, the heartbeat of this book, living together in harmony as brothers in Christ. This book looks to answer the question, what is Christian community? So I'm going to ask you that right now. If you want to pause the episode and think about it for a moment, by all means, go ahead and do that. What is Christian community? Some may say that Christian community is the gathering together of the believers on Sundays for worship and preaching and giving an offering and coffee and yeah, all, all the normal Sunday school church stuff that goes on on Sunday mornings. That is Christian community. Some may say it's fellowship. You know, that's a word that you, if you don't use the word community, you probably use the word fellowship. It's doing life together might be another catchy phrase that you have heard often. Uh, and it's this idea of coming together outside of church, typically to share a meal and do some fun activity stuff and probably talk about the Bible at some point. For some, Christian community is another buzzword that makes my stomach itch. Um, authentic, authentic conversation that is that is christian community it's speaking truth and being you know you know not withholding truth from one another and wrestling with hard concepts and you know kind of this uh theo bro arguing duking it out over every single theological thing that that is christian community bonhoeffer as a result of his time in this seminary and what he writes here in life together would have circled D none of the above. Maybe, maybe E none of the above and all of the above at the same time, because what we're going to see as we work through the chapters of this book is that there are elements of all of that in what he takes to be Christian community, but it's not any of those things in of themselves. There's actually 
two things in particular that I think really summarizes what Bonhoeffer thinks Christian community is, and I'll get to that here in a few minutes. Overall, I would definitely recommend this book. It checks that it checks one of my favorite boxes, folks. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know it for a fact. It is short, very readable, and packed with information. It's it's got that it's got the triple play. It's got the the hat trick. I would definitely recommend that. I. I think it was earlier this month on the My Seminary Life YouTube channel. If you missed it, head down to the link into the description and uh, make sure you follow the channel over there. I did an episode over, I did a video episode talking about uh, my favorite books, one book from each class during my seminary experience, uh, including some gold seal books like the tippity top ones. I think. I think I would give Life Together a silver seal. Now I'm like creating a whole ranking system. Maybe this should be a page over on the My Seminary Life website as well with like links to Amazon. That might be a wise thing to do. But uh, my favorite book. Yeah, that makes sense. One of my goals is to eventually start a book club. Anyway, so this is definitely a, a high recommendation for me. Very readable very packed with information. This book is five chapters long, but also less than 150 pages. It might be shorter than 120 pages, if I'm being honest. Five chapters long, plus the intro, um, that which is where I got all that biographical information. Christians are called to fellowship with one another as they are scattered in a world that is against them. Christendom is the body scattered, which is the Lord's will. So the idea of Christian community is bringing together chunks of the scattered body of Christ together. Christendom is not one country. Again, not just one, not just one country or one very specific culture or one very specific race. Christian, the kingdom of God is a scattered kingdom at this point in time. And community is bringing together these fragmented groups together under one roof for a period of time. Um, it is by grace that we live in communion together. Christian community is through and in Jesus. We are brothers solely through Jesus. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal, but a divine reality. These are all just thoughts that Bonhoeffer, I was jotting down. Uh, the big thing that we can walk away with here in chapter one, as he builds the groundwork for community is that we have this scattered element, right? But that we are unified together, not just because we are all in the same area or because we are, you know, all root for the same sports team or all vote the same way or we all look alike or we all like the same music style. We are brought together through and in Jesus and solely by Jesus. We are brothers. We are part of a family. We are in a kingdom together because of Jesus. 
that is what Christian community is founded upon. We are founded upon the cornerstone, Jesus. It sounds revolutionary and also not at the same time, but it this is this is the truth that we stand on. We are brothers in Christ because of Christ. We are not brothers because of anything else. Bonhoeffer also has a lot to say in this chapter about what community is not. And community is not an ideal dream that you envision. He actually says, and I posted this whole quote on Facebook last week, I think, God hates visionary dreaming. That right there is... How do I put this? That statement right there, God hates, that is his word, visionary dreaming, because it takes the attention off of God and onto yourself. The uh, We are all the time pushing this idea that visionary dreaming, v- you know, vision casting is like such a significant part of the Christian faith. And yet Bonhoeffer is standing here saying, no, that actually is basically a form of idolatry to try and come up with like a vision of what you think the ideal so-and-so is supposed to be. And he goes on in this, again, it's a pretty long quote. It's an entire paragraph, I believe. Um, this very long quote to say that when you have this ideal of what community is supposed to look like and you enforce it on others upon God, upon yourself in a very legalistic manner, and then it fails and you hold everybody, including God, accountable for the fact it fails, you're like in the wrong here. And I've been at times in Christian communities that I've reflected upon after reading this quote of these times where it was being pushed of like, no, this is what community is supposed to be. And I, I wonder, and I reflect more of like, I actually don't think that is how community was supposed to be in these specific scenarios that the people involved had a very ideal vision dreaming idea in their mind of what community was supposed to look like and they were forcing it on others when that's actually not what God called us to, how God has called us to live out Christian community. He even goes as far as to say uh, later on, if you cannot be in community because of your ideal dreams, you need to see if God needs to shatter that dream, basically inviting you to go to God to have your dreams wrecked. If you are uncomfortable, if you're very specifically, this is not a universal claim to everybody who is uncomfortable with going to church, but if your issue with going to church, according to Bonhoeffer, is rooted in you have an ideal dream of what it's supposed to be like and it's not being fulfilled so you don't go, then you need to sacrifice that idol and turn back to God. Or God needs to smash that idol for you. And I kind of get that in a way. Um, I like my home church. I really do. But I've had some, I've had some, honestly, some processing that I've been going through recently with it. And I've begun to realize more and more that 
I think for me, the ideal church service is some weird combination of very liturgical, but the music part is still very professionally done, like at a non-denominational church. You have a lot of like the the readings, the shorter sermon, taking communion every week, blessings and prayers that you recite together, but the music is more polished. And I just don't know if that actually exists. And so I continue to go to be a part of my home church, and I continue to participate in various forms of community and fellowship with believers, with my friends, from my home church, because this is the place where my brothers and sisters come together, and I want to be with my brothers and sisters to worship God together. Knowing that community, as Bonhoeffer is going to work out more here in a minute, is not just going to church on Sunday mornings. So we have this set up in chapter one, that community is in and through Jesus, not your ideal vision and dream of what community is supposed to look like. <clears throat> Bonhoeffer then proceeds to, in the remaining chapters, work out what he thinks this community is supposed to look like. And again, this isn't strictly speaking through the lens of Sunday morning at church. And actually, it's not even strictly speaking through the lens of seminary students at a small seminary. Most of the time, the example that he is writing from is from the perspective of family. He's writing from the perspective of the family together, which can be both interpreted as brothers and sisters in Jesus, but really how he talks about it if you're just like a mom or a dad listening to this and you want a book on what it could look like to do family devotions, go read this book. Seriously, like that this he writes particularly here in chapter 2 from this focus and lens of family devotions. So, and that's that is what we start. What does Christian community look like. It looks like before we take physical food, we need to take some spiritual food first and foremost. He writes that the morning time should be spent with the first words given over to God. So that looks like reading the Psalms together. Basically, you are to read a Psalm every single day which I am no math wizard. Granted, Psalm 119 is very long, but that means you're essentially reading the book of Psalms like two and not quite a half times in a year. If you were to do that this, if you were to read one every single day, bearing in mind the Psalm 119 is very long, so maybe you want to break that up differently. But you start off the day devoting the first word over to God, and that looks like reading the Psalms together, followed up by reading Scripture. Uh, he advises, starting in Genesis, he advises what the Mad Hatter said to Alice. Start at the beginning, and when you come to the end, stop. Start in Genesis and work your way through. Um, after that, it is to be a time of singing, 
singing of a hymn, followed by prayer, and then prayer for your meal, and now you can have breakfast. And this is not solo devotional time before the kids wake up. This is not solo devotional time before your dorm room roommate wakes up or your brother wakes up. This is family devotional time together. A psalm, a passage of scripture, a hymn. I would extend that to a worship song. In prayer, followed up by prayer for your food seeing God as your provider of both your physical and spiritual food. And then you can eat breakfast. So that is the start of the day. And I've been trying to implement this more in my family devotion life. Cooper's producer Cooper is a little over a year old. And uh, I typically get him up out of bed after Claire leaves for work. I would love to be able to do morning time family devotions with all three of us. However, if Cooper sees Mama leave, uh, it gets a little, (laughs) a nuclear bomb may go off in my living room. So, which is adorable, except I haven't had my coffee yet. So it's not. Anyway, so we wait until mom leaves, sadly. Um, hopefully as he gets older, we'll be able to do it together. And I read him a psalm. I've started, we just started doing this very recently. So we are, we're taking it very slowly, like chunk by chunk through the book of Psalms rather than chapter by chapter. Um, we do that. I sing him a song and then we pray together. The whole time he's in his high chair eating, we don't have Bluey or Elmo on yet. It's just us together and God for the first few minutes in the morning. And like I said, we've just been doing this very recently and shockingly much to my pleasant surprise. He's been really good and actually kind of enjoys it. Claire has done a really good job of already cultivating in him a, a healthy desire for books. He, uh, or excuse me, she reads him several books as part of his bedtime routine to the point where now during the day when he's playing, he'll go over to a stack of books and pull them out and flip through them and babble his way through the entire book. It's great. Like he knows that when you hold a book open, you're supposed to say something. Um, And so when I'm standing there before him, I kind of kneel. So we're a little bit eye level and I'm reading him, the word of God, and he can see that I have a book open, he sits there and he listens, which is incredible. Obviously, he's not really retaining anything, but I want him to see the example, you know? So that is family time in the morning, family community time with your brothers and sisters in Christ or your literal family in the morning. After that point, after breakfast, naturally, most people, at least, go to work, right? And Bonhoeffer talks about that when you're at work, you are to be praying. And But work should not impede prayer, and prayer should not impede work. We are supposed to be doing both as to the Lord. So it's tricky, it's difficult, but it's kind of this posture of praying your way through the day as difficulties come up, as certain people come to mind, as you're watching the news 
in your cubicle or flipping through a news site when you should be doing work or, you know, your anxiety is spiking or your depression is crashing. You are to be praying your way through the day. Lunch is a time for rest, ideally a time for the family to get together one more time to pray over their meal, enjoy their meal, rest, don't work while you're eating lunch, rest. Need I point you back to January where we had an entire series about the importance of rest? Rest, dang it. Rest, enjoy your lunch, then you resume your workday again with this praying through your day as things come along, uh, which again is something that I'm trying to work on of being in the moment. My um, my anxiety causes me to disassociate a lot. This is something I never realized until I watched a very specific movie and learned that this was actually a medical condition. Um I know some people really hate the movie Joker, but actually that was the first time I learned about disassociation and realized, oh, this is how I've lived my entire life. I didn't know this was not how people are supposed to function. Anyway, um, I disassociate a lot. It's part of my anxiety. It's a defense mechanism. It's a, that gets triggered very easily. And, um, and so Praying through the day has helped me to refocus and be more in the moment, which is something I really want to. And I don't mean be in the moment in that like Barney since Barney Stinson make every night legendary type of way, but like be present, especially now that I have a child that I need to keep alive, but that I want to make sure that he knows his dad is there for them, there for him. Um, Praying through my day has helped me to be able to do that and also not spend my whole free time on my phone. Then you come together for the evening portion, and basically, dinner time is like breakfast. You read a psalm, you read a passage of scripture, you sing, you pray. Bonhoeffer does make the caveat that the evening prayer should be more intercessory focused, praying for others. And then you pray and you eat your meal. And that is family time together in the evening. So one thing that we see marked throughout the day is a whole lot of prayer, right? And coming together to read God's word together, not to preach or discuss or wrestle with the text of scripture, but merely to read the text of scripture over each other. That is what, in Bonhoeffer's mind, family devotion time should be, a reading of the word of God upon one another. Takes us now into chapter three, where Bonhoeffer talks about quiet time, devotion time, solo time, whatever you want to call it. In his perspective, you cannot do community well if you are uncomfortable with silence and solitude and the other way around as well, if you are not comfortable with silence and solitude, you cannot do community. Well, you have to be able to do both. And I know that there are a lot of Christians out there who are like, no, we're only supposed to be doing community. It's like community is first and foremost. And 
devotional time is like an afterthought, which granted a lot of the day that Bonhoeffer has presented to us does involve a lot of time together. But he also makes an emphasis for individual time. There's also plenty of Christians out there who are like, hey, make sure you have your quiet time. Make sure you do your devotions. Make sure you do, you know, make sure you're having your your moment with God every single day and go to church and that's enough community. Like neither one of those are the right answer. We're looking for a healthy balance of both. Bonhoeffer recommends an hour of devotional time, solo, solitude, silence, devotional time. His his hour is broken up into three things. By the way, he says that this is not um, legalistic, but orderliness and fidelity. That is how he views using an hour. It is for orderliness to keep yourself to this form of a structure. Three things takes place during this time. Meditation on the word of God, reading a passage of scripture, possibly spending a week or more just in one passage meditating over it, praying over that passage because his he actually has, surprisingly, I thought, a very individualistic mentality, which this is supposed to be solitude and silence time that when you read God's word, you need to be looking for how this applies to you in this time, in this moment, and how God has given you this me- this passage at this particular point. Um, it's all very individualistic. You're not supposed to be reading a passage to preach at somebody, to speak over somebody. This is for you. This is your time with God now. So you read the passage of scripture, you pray about applying that passage of scripture in your life, and then you close out the time with intercessory prayer. So you could almost look at it as some type of like 20 minute, 20 minute, 20 minute time slot, 20 minutes in God's word, 20 minutes of prayer, 20 minutes intercessory prayer. I do know in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, John Piper advocates for spending 20 minutes of your time in God's word a day and 20 minutes reading good books a day, a good book every day. Because when you, if you do that every single day, 365 days in a year, it's like some stupid, crazy number of the amount of time that you have spent in God's word and reading good books a year. So if you want to introduce a book into the equation, if you want to sing, have a moment to listen to worship music, journal, read a small devotional before you get into God's word. For me personally, this is me, not Bonhoeffer. I think there's some flexibility in this hour of how you want to spend it with the Lord. And it can be flexible. You can, you know, maybe for a period of time, journal a prayer every day. And then next month, you're going to actually pray on your knees, you know, whatever. Like, I think to me, there's flexibility here. But coming at this strictly from Bonhoeffer's perspective, this time is for meditating on scripture, praying about that passage, and then getting in uh, praying for other people. Chapter four. Chapter four. Okay. Is all about ministry. 
And this is not pastoral ministry. This is not um, mission work or anything that we would normally define as ministry. Vocational ministry might be what we're really talking about. Instead, he is talking about ministering to each other in community as a family. And I just want to I just want to read the things that he talks about here. How to minister to one another in community. You ready? Holding one's tongue to combat evil thoughts. Loving in meekness or excuse me, living in meekness to build other, others up. Listening to others, being helpful to one another, being one another bearing one another's burdens openly speaking scripture to each other. So one more time, let me just give you those one more time. Hold, ha, holding one's tongue to combat evil thoughts, living in meekness to build others up, lifting or listening to others, being helpful to one another, bearing one another's burdens, openly speaking the scriptures to one another. Okay. And this is where I'm going to come back to the the question of what is Christian community, right? And I said Bonhoeffer would circle D, none of the above. My observation is this. To Bonhoeffer, Christian community is, yes, built upon the bedrock of Jesus Christ. But in practical application, as we are speaking of here, it is prayer and service, That is Christian community, not just going to church, not sharing, not just sharing a meal together and not just authentic conversations with one another, beating one another over the head with scripture. Although speaking scripture to one another freely is listed here and there is family devotional time when you are reading God's word to one another. So it's not like the Bible is completely irrelevant in this conversation. But when you go back to Bonhoeffer's like ideal day for Christian community, it is primarily spent in prayer. You're praying together in the morning, praying over your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, praying throughout your work day. If you were ever wondering how to live out the whole pray without ceasing, I think if you actually tried to follow Bonhoeffer's model here, you'd come pretty dang close. And here, when it comes to the community aspect of maybe the more day in and day out parts, right? The wiggle room parts. You know, how am I supposed to interact when I'm with my brother? before breakfast or a little bit after breakfast before we leave for work. You know, like you look at this list of things that Bonhoeffer is saying here, bear one another's burdens, uh, be helpful to one another, uh, listening, my gosh, like listen to one another. This is all very much in the mindset of caring for one another, serving one another, That is what authentic Christian community looks like. It's service, not not just authentic conversation or going to church or sharing a meal together. It's serving one another. It's legitimately caring for one another. And caring for one another, serving one another, looks like more than just seeing everybody once a week. It looks like more than 
having a meal together, it looks like more than having authentic conversations. If that is all you can picture when it comes to Christian community, I think for Bonhoeffer, you're coming back then to what he said earlier of you have an ideal that needs to be sacrificed because it's an idol. He closes out this chapter talking about how when these things, talking about this ministry, ministering to one another as family members, when these things are done, authority is established. Far too often, both then, as Bonhoeffer is writing his book, because he talks about it here, and now, authority is idolized. Authority as Bonhoeffer says here, authority is seeking Jesus. It's authority in Jesus is established when you are seek, not seeking power. And I think so often he talks about it in this book and we have to talk about it now still that authority is given to those who seek it. Authority is seized by those who seek it. Authority is not established in service. It's just not. It, it, I've seen the hierarchies. I know that I know the hierarchy system in white evangelicalism. I know it. And don't try to play holier than thou, because I've seen it on the other side in small church home church communities where they do the exact same thing. People are power hungry, but true biblical Jesus authority is established when we are not trying to control and seek the power because so often, and this goes all the way back to the very beginning of this show with episode one, we, we so often overlook that what the scripture says is humility. That is the Jesus way, to quote an annoying song. That is, that is what it means to be a Christian, in part. Obviously, following Jesus is like the main part. But it is humility, humble submission to Jesus and to one another that you establish yourself as a ministry leader, that you establish yourself with authority. It is when you admit that you are weak, it is when you admit that you can't fix it. And it's sad how many times I have seen people say that and they don't mean it. And instead, they say it as a way to grab more power, to get more people to trust them, only for them to hurt them later. I am not in a good mood with Christians right now, if I'm being quite honest with you all. Because to me, right now, all I have continued to see are Christians stabbing one another in the back, trying to seize more power across the board. Name a group. They're doing it. We are power-hungry people. And I just wish we would get the memo. That we would just understand the assignment he must increase and I must decrease. I just wish we could figure it out. Chapter five. 
last chapter. Um, this chapter is all about confession. Um, because when you get into the Lutheran tradition, I think for those, uh, those of us outside of the Lutheran church, I guess I can't really speak for the other more high liturgical churches environment. I know this is a big deal in the Catholic church for sure. Um, but for those of us in the more low liturgical context, we value baptism and communion. These are two very important things. So do Lutherans, so do Catholics, so do other, just about every Christian church is going to value communion and baptism. In certain contexts, like the Lutheran church and the Catholic church, confession is actually held basically on the same platform as baptism and communion. It's very obviously with the Catholic church, with, you know, doing confession, you know, the thing with the box, Gus, I got to do the thing now with the box and talking to the guy, a confession, Sean. Um, shout out to all the psych fans. I, uh, if and when I ever get to be the pastor of a church somewhere and uh, I want to do a short, more topical sermon series, I totally will steal everything Bonhoeffer writes here about confession. Truly, folks. This has been a very good book. Hopefully you're feeling that with this episode. But this chapter is worth the price of admission to read what he has to say about confession. Definitely worth picking up just to get to this final chapter. Um, In confession, uh, there is a bridge. There is a breakthrough. Gosh, I am just so tongue-tied. It's because I'm tired and it's late. In confession, there is a breakthrough to community. We, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we truly can break and continue to re-break the bonds of sin in our lives daily, not through self-forgiveness, which I feel like is actually something that is very popular to talk about now, but by confession with others. When we publicly somewhat publicly confess our sins to one another. We are bringing our sins into the light rather than when we only ever keep it between us and God. There is a level of continuing to keeping things in the dark. We don't normally think of it that way of when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our righteousness. Dust my hands, move on. But Bonhoeffer would argue that when we bring our sins to others to confess to them, this is actually exposing them to the light. And this allows this other person to speak into what we are confessing. Now, one caveat he does make is that he's not calling for you to stand up in front of your entire congregation to confess your dirty laundry from the week. This is going to a specific person. Dare I say, he does not say this, folks, but maybe to you something we're familiar with, an accountability partner is kind of the idea that we're getting at here. Not really someone who's not so much someone who's going to keep tabs on you, but somebody that you can go to to be honest, to talk about what you are struggling with and to confess when you 
have given in to temptation and for them to speak scripture over you as well. Confession is a form of humiliation. Confession is discipleship. Confession is certainty of God's grace. Rather, turn the page. Rather than self-forgiveness, which keeps things in the dark. I talked about that a moment ago. The reason why I wanted to preach this is because he has these really good confession is. Confession is. And to like sit in under his thoughts of what confession is and look at that it, it, through the lens of scripture, again, in a more topical setting, I think would make for a really good sermon. Um, and the taking of communion, this chapter is actually about confession and communion. The taking of communion invites us to live this life of confession. One bit of warning he gives, though, uh, when it comes to this lifestyle of confessing sins to one another, um, to the confessee, no, the confessor, to the confessor, the person confessing the sin, don't obsess over getting every single detail from your week out there in the open. Don't obsess over it. May, get Confess what you know and move on. You know, basically don't make confession an obsession because then don't make confession an obsession. I'm going to write a song. Um, Don't make your confession an obsession because then it turns into an idol, right? And to the confessee, the person receiving the confessing, you should not be everybody's person that they dump on. That's not healthy for you. And that's it. That is it, folks. That is Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Again, if I could maybe summarize this very short book into one concise thought, it is this, that through Bonhoeffer's lens and experience and teachings, Christian community is built upon Jesus, not your ideal of what community should look like. It should be, Christian community should be prayer and service day in and day out as we read scripture together as we read scripture alone as we confess our sins as preparation to take communion with one another confessing our sins to one another we are living in community this is what it looks like this is what christian community in his opinion is supposed to look like. But what what do you think? Again, let's go back to the original question. What do you say Christian community is? If I remember, I will post something on the Facebook and the Instagram that you can comment and let me know. What do you think Christian community is? And how angry are you at me right now? Because I know I got a little heated there. But what do I know? This is my new thing. I'm like Jerry Lynn. I don't know anything. I'm just a guy from the Midwest. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you haven't yet already, I would appreciate it. If you would rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, share this episode with a friend that you think uh, could use some encouragement on what it looks like to live 
in Christian community together. If you really, 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 really liked this episode, then head on down to the description to go to buy me a coffee and where you can leave a virtual tip and a little nice comment um, to uh, towards the show. You can also join not one, but maybe two different. There is now two MSL fan clubs. So there's the five new $5 a month MSL fan club and the already existing $9 a month MSL fan club gold. MSL fan club gold for $9 a month. The $5 a month one gets you access to exclusive posts. Sometimes those posts are public, uh, but it gets you access to exclusive posts, blog posts. And the $9 a month one gets you access to those posts and a shout out here on the show. So if you would like to give consistently, please consider subscribing over at Buy Me a Coffee. You can find links for that and other things in the description of this episode. I already told you what's happening next week. We're talking about uh, Bonhoeffer's little uh, commentary on the book of Psalms. And uh, we are entering the last leg then, after that, of the summer of Bonhoeffer. This has been good. I'm ready for a change. I'm at the point, as much as I've been enjoying this series, I am ready for what's coming up in September. Um, But more on that later. Until then, this is Brandon signing off, reminding you as always that theology is for everyone, so keep on studying.